Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Salam, phone on the record. This is Brother Shedrick in Israel, tribe of Judah, and welcome to Wednesday night nucleus. Um, the time now is 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 o'clock p.m. Central. Um, who's all online? Hello, is anyone here? Hold on for a minute. Shalom, it's Brother E.K. Okay, Shalom, Brother. Um, I'm not sure where everyone is, but I'll give people some time to get in. So, last week I gave a video assignment. And um, before I gave the video assignment, we went over um, we went over something uh, in regards to understanding um uh, I guess you can say uh, government structure somewhat and understanding uh, status um, and why it is important when we're talking about our people. Um, one of the things that I mentioned was that, you know, we as a people have to understand, in order to understand government, we must understand the various parts of it and how we fit into that because a lot of us have, um, not here per se, but just as a whole, a lot of people have been duped into thinking that we were just only kings and queens, and that is not necessarily true. Uh, And even though that is not necessarily true, that's not the whole point of, uh, of our history. The whole point of our history and the whole point of our charge in history was to organize a society where we can maintain a balance of nature. And one of the things um, that people seem to hit in this is that, yeah, of course, we had kings and queens, but most of our people fell into different classes. Did that, you know, does that mean that you now look down on certain people because they're in different classes? Well, no. One of the things that we have the opportunity to do now is understand why these things happen as opposed to, okay, finding out whether or not they did happen. Because if you pay attention now, I mean, everything that we are doing now is a reflection of what was already done. There's nothing new under the sun. So then you now have to put yourself in a position to 
to research and study why these things happen. And a lot of people they don't want to face the they don't want to face the, the music. You know, a lot of people are coming up with these different, you know, Shalom, coming up with these different histories, trying to make themselves feel good about, you know, about the reality that they're in, you know, but that does not help you escape the reality that you're in. The reality is we are now on the other end of the law. We are on the receiving end of the law, and we are not the lawgiver. That is a fact. We have to deal with it, and we have to move on. And moving on, it requires us to understand what went wrong, what we did wrong, what we did right, and how we made the necessary changes to move forward so that we can rebuild. That is the whole part of learning from your mistakes and being a, you know, being a grown man and woman in this life and the next and learning how to govern yourself. It is all important. So moving forward, um, I did have everyone to watch this movie. I know it's probably, you know, when I did mention, I know people were like, a little princess, you know, I'm not watching that movie. <laughs> but the, the, the concept of what I wanted you to see is in the movie. And it was very um, it was pertinent to the discussion. So I'll, I know Octi Anisha is here. Oc, um, Ek is here. Who else is here? Okay, so let's just you two. All right. So what I'll do is I'll start with Ak. Ak, were you able to view the movie? To my brother, yeah, I was able to watch it. I actually liked it. <laughs> Okay, and what what were your thoughts? What did you what did you see in the movie, and in correlation to what we actually discussed? All right, uh, forgive me. I'm gonna be a little long winded, so I can. That's okay. Um, so what I found was it was several things. Um, first one being uh, first one about status. Um, mm-hmm. in the beginning of the movie, um. The word princess is actually a title. It's a title, obviously, right? It's a title of quote-unquote nobility, first and foremost, and that has a status attached to it. And so um, the whole concept behind being a princess is a certain status and there's a certain way individuals conduct themselves accordingly, particularly the obviously women who are princesses, they conduct themselves in a certain kind of way. Mm -hmm. And the fact being that um, in the very beginning when they was in India, one of the women was like, all little girls are princesses or something like that. All girls are princesses, whatever. And so now when uh, her father, the little girl, when her father was commissioned to um, go to a different um, location because of the war, because he's part of the British government, now he's back... Now she's back uh, in, in, in uh, forgive me if I'm missing, missing, missing it, in Britain now, but now she's going to start going to school. Now, having that, she had the status princess implanted in her mind. Now she goes to a school, 
where the headmaster doesn't even see her like that. So now she's, quote-unquote, in reality, in another jurisdiction where now her status may have to be changed to fit that jurisdiction because obviously she's not being, quote-unquote, treated as a princess in reality. There's no royal feet around her, so to speak. So now in, in, in the school, she's now dealing with another component of that status, which is what we also alluded to weeks ago about the ego being a play where she's like, okay, I'm a princess, so therefore I already know French. I don't need to learn it. Why do I need to do all this stuff? All these girls admire her. There's this one female that, one little girl that doesn't, that is not really, um, that, that doesn't, that's not really fond of her, obviously. And so now, that being in the picture, that's where it's like, okay, just because of where you quote-unquote come from doesn't mean that it's going to be the same in this environment. I run the shot. So quote-unquote, at that school, it could also be viewed as that that girl that was kind of stuck up was the quote-unquote equivalent of being a princess because she felt like she's the one that's all of that, quote-unquote. So there's that clash right there. So having said that, so now the headmaster sees this, obviously, and is like the girl that's coming from India, the little girl that's the main character, she obviously is looking at this and saying, well, yeah, I know I'm a princess, whatever, but it's more of a imaginary thing. It's more of a state of mind, consciousness type of thing of anything. So it's like we've been taught that status begins with state of mind consciousness. So her saying that all girls are princesses, she's basically establishing that your state of mind first, that that be established, and therefore your conduct that you can carry yourself should proceed afterwards. So that's why uh, all the girls started to gravitate towards her because of the way she was conducting herself and carrying herself as opposed to the other girl that was stuck up that seemingly a lot of girls was kind of kind of drawn away from because of this presence that the little girl had. So nevertheless, now once her father was seriously wounded in the war, which was presumed that he might have been killed, so when they broke the news to her saying that, yeah, your father has died, that the British government seized his estate now. So now because she has no quote-unquote father that's going to, that she can obviously um, quote-unquote subscribe to anymore, now she becomes a quote-unquote ward of the state now, of the British government. Mm -hmm. So now her status automatically drops to that of a ward or a quote-unquote servant. So now she's no longer among the quote-unquote girls anymore. She's now with the Negro sister, the little girl that's also the servant. So now her status and that Negro girl's status are the exact same, regardless of their skin color. So it's in that jurisdiction, in that environment. And so now she knows how it feels to be a servant, but she was never looking at the Negro sister as being beneath her because of the fact that she felt like she was also a princess. She always felt like maybe she should also be reminded that she too 
she's also a princess in her own mind. That just because she's a servant doesn't mean that she shouldn't be looked down upon. And that's how she was being treated in that environment at that school. So now when her status, the little girl, was dropped to that of a servant or changed rather to a servant, now we see how the mistreatment started to become when she started to, uh, you know, say certain things or do certain things that she was doing before she even dropped to a servant, the girl still gravitated towards her, but the headmaster and that girl that was stuck up didn't like that for some reason, obviously. So then what happened is, and this is what I'm starting to think, uh, I started to take heed is like when the gentleman that was from India with the monkey on his back, I would equate that, and correct me if I'm wrong, after we, after I finished that, he could have been her ambassador to the fact that she he was still there to make sure that although she he's she's in a different jurisdiction that she still has her well being up to par nevertheless. So this is why when there were certain periods when she was like kinda down and out, uh that whole feast when she was punished to not eat anymore for one day and then she was basically telling the Negro little girl saying you know, imagine all these biscuits and all this food around the table, then when they woke up, there was all this food around them. And then nevertheless, when her father, when it was found that her father was actually just, you know, succumbed to a coma, now she's getting reconnected to her father again, to her quote-unquote estate again. So now her status becomes to get re-implemented of that of a quote-unquote princess, no longer of a servant anymore which is what was reflected at the end of the movie. And so that's sort of what I saw with the whole thing, you know, and I thought it was very interesting how the ego was at play because the stuck-up little girl recognized at the end that she too was hurting, like maybe nobody reminded her that she was a princess. That's why she even told the headmaster that, did your father not tell you that you're also a princess as well? So... Mm-hmm. The state of mind consciousness is what was really going on here, which was reflecting in the people's behavior and the conduct. Like that little girl that was always picked on with the glasses that couldn't get the math problem correct, the little girl told her that you're a princess as well. Like, you know, why you feel this way? Like, you know, she was like, well, no one, you know, you're the only one that understands me and stuff like that, whatever. And so all those different things, you know, just because she came from a you know, a princess in her state of mind, she was trying to infuse that in other girls that you also are princesses, but let that state of mind first precede you, and then when you conduct yourself, it will, it will show itself accordingly, and that's, I think, what was being shown in the movie, not you. Very well, brother. This is a great observation. Um, R.T. Anisha. Shalom. Um, yeah, that movie was really, really awesome. I, I might be a, yeah, it really, it really was. Like, I saw a couple of different things. Like, um, at first, when I was viewing the father, I was viewing the father almost like our creator, especially at the end where he couldn't even recognize her. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Papa, it's me, it's me. You gotta remember me. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he couldn't even recognize her because of the trauma that he had received fighting, but also because of the a state that she had fallen into. Mm-hmm. You know, how she was dressed. Mm-hmm. And she was cowering in the corner, afraid. And, you know, what I liked about the young lady is that she always maintained a humble position. Like, you could see throughout the movie um, the different class statuses demonstrated. Mm-hmm. Like, even though when the British government seized her father's estate and she became a ward of the the state and a servant of the house, her estate was a servant, but her estate was even higher than the Negro girl because Mm -hmm. the Negro girl, they weren't even allowed to look at or talk to. And when she was, still royalty, the princess had asked the other girl, well, why can't she, why can't we speak to her? Why can't we talk to her? Because her skin is dark. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, what does that have to do with anything? And she was like, I don't know. No, she said, but does that matter? And she said, well, doesn't it? The other little girl she was talking to. Mm-hmm. And the black girl, she could only go in the kitchen and cook and clean stuff. But when the the princess was lowered to a servant estate, she was allowed to serve the table. You know, and they, she, the, the headmistress was just like, don't talk to her. Don't talk to her. But she could at least come out and be seen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, opposed to the Negro girl that had to stay in the room and she wasn't allowed to be seen or spoken to. Um, when Brother E.K. was talking about the... Um, gentleman that was in the turban with the 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 um the monkey on his shoulder. I kind of looked at him as an angel, mm-hmm. like an ambassador of her lord, literally. You know, and when she was in her worst state or worst state of mind, the angel of the lord appeared and made sure that she had what she needed, and some might have thought, because of the way that they portrayed him, some might have thought that he was this, you know, heavenly, imaginary spirit that just popped in and out. Like, was this a magi or something or a genie or something because of the way they were portraying him to just appear? But then when she ran away to get away, you finally realize that he was actually a real flesh and blood being. Um, And I also found it interesting that her father was never that far. He was right next door. He was always next to her. Even though she thought he was gone, he was always there. So those are some of the metaphysical things that I noticed about the movie. Mm -hmm. And I also noticed with Brother E.K., um, mentioned, and I like the way the young lady kept her composure through all stages. You know, it was almost like the mistress, 
like the young lady was a princess, so like the the other girl was like a rich girl, but she wasn't a princess. So the princess got the best room, mm-hmm. you know. And so the the rich girl was probably the richest girl of the boarding school, but she wasn't a princess. She didn't have the room that she had and the clothes that she had. And, you know, she was probably really envious of that fact, even though she probably had, you know, a lot anyway, more than the other girls that were there. And it's like to watch her go from once they actually seized all of her father's once her father lost his mental capacity, he wasn't even dead, but he lost his mental capacity to govern his own estate. They seized it because he wasn't in the proper state of mind to govern his affairs. I found that really interesting, which is what we have been basically subjected to. And we have to basically prove our competency so that we will be deemed mentally stable enough to govern our own estate and govern our own affairs uh, and to see how she was stripped of all of her personals, even down to the locket, you know, that her grandmother gave to her um, was heartbreaking, you know, and I especially like the ending because it looks like her father probably purchased the orphanage. And then the mean old mistress lady actually became, you know, a servant where she had to answer to some of the children and some of the chores to do for the house instead of being the headmistress, mm-hmm. which I found really, really, really tickled me. It was kind of like a uh, a redone Orphan Annie type movie. It was good. Mm-hmm. And with that, I yield. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that you got. I, I was enjoying your views, and I'm glad that you saw some elements, most of the elements that we were actually discussing. Um, before I get ready to speak, I just want to ask: Is there anyone else on the line? Okay. So there are several different things that I'm going to mention. And maybe you probably didn't pay. Maybe you probably didn't consider it, but this is something that I noticed. One of the things I noticed is that the 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 man who I who I assumed was Moorish, by the way, he was the I guess you can say the he almost kind of acted like a steward for the man whose son went to uh who went who was deployed. What I don't know if anybody really paid attention to is that the the man whose son went to deploy who died and they couldn't find him but instead the young lady's uh father they assumed that he was him. That man was Jewish. Did anybody catch that? Uh, didn't <laughs> no one caught it. When he was getting ready to, when his son was getting ready to deploy, he said shalom. No one caught that. Oh, wow. Yeah, he that said shalom. I'm going to watch it tomorrow. Yeah, he actually said shalom. So I was kind of like, and it threw me off because I had seen that movie years ago. 
I had never really paid attention to it. I, I hadn't seen that movie since, like, 1995, which is around the time it came out. But when I watched it the day that before I assigned it as a, a discussion topic, I heard him say, Shalom. He was waving to him as the young man was being uh, carried off to deploy. He said, Shalom. So I said, oh, he's Jewish. But then there was the quote-unquote Indian man who was acting as a trustee uh, for that uh, quote-unquote Jewish man, which is why I presumed he was Moorish. Nonetheless, another fun fact, the young lady who played as uh, uh, I forgot the young lady's name in the movie. I think it was Sarah. Yeah. Something. It was Sarah. Was it Sarah? Does anybody know? Yeah, it was which, Sarah. Which young lady? It was Sarah. Okay, the young lady who um who was quote unquote princess. Okay. Okay. In real life, she is actually an heiress to the West End Hotel Empire. Does anybody know that? No way. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I thought was really interesting um, when I watched the movie because the young lady, you know, playing the part of a quote-unquote princess in the movie is actually an heiress to an empire or a franchise, they like to call it, an empire, uh, in real life. So it kind of fit her. And I guess the movie role kind of humbled her because she knows what it's like to be, you know, to come from wealth in real life. Um, another interesting, um, uh, another interesting notion is that the school that they uh, that all of this happened at was it actually a charitable organization. What I found interesting about the charitable charitable organization in regards to the young lady's estate, was that when the young man, who, by the way, of course he was not dead, and of course he was what they considered to be incapacitated, but they held his estate because the because his, his life in question was presumed to be dead, not that because he was incapacitated but they could not find the body to match the name, which is why when he came home, they assumed that he was the son of the Jewish man. Okay? He was the, they assumed that he was the son of the Jewish man, which is why he ended up at the Jewish man's house. So he technically was considered to be dead not because he was incapacitated, but because they never, they switched the names on the bodies. He ended up, they ended up assuming that he was the son of the Jewish man, but because of the name, but they couldn't find the body of the Jewish uh, man's son. So they assumed that he was him. All the while, they assumed that Sarah's father was actually dead, which is why they actually assumed which is why the state uh, or, or Britain seized her assets. And what ended up happening was they they put a hole on they put a hole on the estate, and everything that Sarah actually had in the 
in the jurisdiction of the charitable organization, they used it to pay off any debt that she incurred while staying there, meaning everything that she was using or doing while she was there, she didn't have any real money. So all the equity from the property went towards paying off of the debt, even the locket. Yeah. So they seized all her property, everything that was worth value. The 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 charitable organization used it to pay pay her uh, room and board. And notice that notice something else that they kept saying the uh the the uh, headmistress she kept saying that I could throw you out right. because technically you don't you no one knows you. You don't have any legal standing, and you don't have anywhere to go. You don't have a basically. You don't really have an identity, so to speak, because your identity is tied up in your status anyway. So we could throw you out, but because of because of the lady's quote unquote kindness that she wanted to uh, use as charity, they kept her there. But if she was going to stay there, she would have to become a servant because she does not have any means of paying room and board. Right. You know, so once she, you know, technically agreed to become servant, and I say technically agreed because it was tacit consent, she didn't have any choice. Right. She didn't have any choice to say whether or not she wanted to become a servant or didn't want to become a servant because the chances are if she agreed that she didn't want to become a servant, they would have threw her out. <laughs> and who would take her in? Because nobody knows her. You know, but um, these were certain things that um, I saw in the movie and I was just kind of like, Wow, you know this. This is a very interesting. Uh, this is a very interesting uh, course of events. And when people actually watch the movie, you know they get a general idea if they really paid attention to it. How status works in the real world, and notice something that when she came there, the head mistress let her know this is reality. This is the reality. This is not so much as me telling you that you are not a princess. It's that now you are not a princess because your your estate has you have no access to your estate. You have no value. You have no consideration. So everything that you do have is now become property of the charitable organization until you or your father or someone who can act as a guardian for you can pay us for you staying here. But what I thought was really interesting is that a charitable organization would do that. I found that really odd that they would do that to her, considering that it was a charitable organization. Hmm. But then I realized that that's not too far fetched because the United States does it, and it is actually considered as a charitable organization. Mm. 
So one of the things that people have to understand in this life, you know, one of the things I want you guys to understand is that titles mean something. Names mean something. And one thing that one of the things that Western society has done is they have propagandized names. And what I mean is they took in the effect of the name and made it useless. And that, I feel, is designed for the purpose of not really respecting anything. Orange has a name, Orange, for a specific reason. doesn't have anything to do with our personal opinions. That's just the name that was given to it. Once upon a time, uh, a tomato used to be called a Moorish Moorish, uh, apple. You know? But this when you when you have when you have dominion over something you can call it what you want to call it, which is what they ended up doing. But other different things in life, things that actually do have value, they have it seems to be either perverted or it seems to have been uh washed, uh, whitewashed, or it has uh, been diminished in meaning. Um, So the respect for it can be diminished. And, you know, people use words willy-nilly. Now, what I'm not saying is that she had no reason to call other people princesses. What I'm saying is the reality hit her that you were not a princess anymore because of your status. It changes. So you are no longer a princess anymore. But I do get that, well, at the same time, she was not, uh, by condition, a status, um, uh, uh, a princess. In her manners and her demeanor, she wow. presented herself as a lady. She presented herself as a princess, wow. which is something that people should really consider when we're talking about our mannerisms, wow. how we treat ourselves and how we carry ourselves and how we treat each other and how we conduct business amongst each other, you know. Um you know, hopefully I I wanted you to walk away with the understanding, which it seems like you did, or which you did uh, gather the understanding that, you know, society is very complex and moving forward when it is our turn to do these things, you know, you have the, you would have the power to bind whoever you want to bind or whatever you want to bind and free whoever or whatever you want to free. You have dominion over what you aspire and acquire. And everything that you set forth in order, that shall be the order. Because that is the way it goes when you want your house. Now, 
one of the other things that, you know, a lot of people may may have been in conflict with in the movie because of the compassion for the young woman is the way of the way the house rules were set um regarding the young lady. Well, the interesting thing about it is that the charitable organization was willing to keep her out of pity for her. But what they ended up doing in an act of mercy was they made her a servant to pay off her debts, which is, was an act of mercy because they could have thrown her out. They could have thrown her out on the street with nothing and with nothing of hers at all and nowhere to go. So this is what this is what our people are not understanding in the society that we live in. You know, I'm not saying that we have to kiss anybody's behind, and we shouldn't have to if we're moving in a if we're moving in a in a path of self government anyway, because that is the ultimate goal, and that should be the ultimate goal for anybody. But what I'm saying is. You have to learn how to respect house rules, even when the house is really in uproar. And respect it for your conscience' sake, only because at the end of it all, you want to be able to live to get out. <laughs> so you have to protect yourself at all costs, which is why respecting where respecting where you are is very important. You don't have to like everything that goes on. I most certainly don't. <laughs> I damn sure don't. But I let it be what it is because that is the reigning order until there is a new order uh, taking effect, which is why it's so important that you guys are here. Don't not think that Nothing you do matters because it does matter. Everything that you do here, it matters. And everything that you will do for yourself will matter because when you guys actually start to govern yourself and other people, you are going to be in the shoes of the people who governed you. And how long your government lasts depends on how you run it. What happened to the young what happened to the headmistress? You wanted okay. to be spiteful, you wanted to be you wanted to be vindictive. Yeah. You accused the young girl of stealing the necklace. Now don't get me wrong, the necklace was stolen but the young girl didn't do it. But you accused her of doing it. And let me ask you this. Ati Anisha, why do you think the headmistress accused the young lady of stealing the necklace? I mean, it was in her possession. It That's her true. Room. That's Who true. Who was going to take it? You That's know, but true. Her. And I'm but, sure she... Mm-hmm. But what else? Her, her status. Bam, there it goes. That is exactly why she did it. Because do you think for one minute... That if that girl had if if that girl had took that necklace, 
went in that office and took that necklace and, and still has her status, you think that lady you think that lady would accuse that young lady of stealing that necklace? Even though she took it from her and then the girl got it back. You think that lady would assume she did it? You know who she would assume had did it? Probably the black girl. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, she was just being nasty for no reason. She was the really girl's yeah, mopping she was the floor. Nasty. She walks all over the floor. The girl walks in. Somebody asks the girl a question. She's like, "You're not to speak." You know, she wants to control everybody <laughs> talking to her, and like, you know, whatever the little girl said. Even before she was, um, even before she was, her status was diminished. You know, she didn't even want the little girl to ask her a question. You know, she would just, just do what I say, you know. <laughs> the lady was just mean. <laughs> she was just mean and nasty, you know. And and I don't know, they didn't show that much, like, when she, when the old lady got the, when the headmistress got demoted, you know, they, that was towards basically the end. Right. They didn't really show how she was being treated, but if they started to treat her exactly how she used to do them, would they be wrong necessarily to do no. that? Because what did I say earlier? You're talking about the order of the day. You're talking about what is the house rule. Mm-hmm. She is no longer the head mistress anymore. She became a servant. Now, how they run, like I said, how long the house lasts depends on how they run it. Now, if they want to be like her, then watch how long that, watch how long it lasts. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, most people are going to be nice to their servants. Obviously, that's not never really been the reality because you do have some spiteful masters out there. But what I am saying is that the order of the day is the order of the day. In the same way that she ran the orphanage, well, not the orphanage, but the school. <laughs> it was, I mean, right? The way she was running it. it the way she was running it, it was the, it, it, there, was the, there was the order of the house and then there was policy. Mm. There was the order of the the school, the charitable organization, and then there was rules. The rules were you can't talk to Becky because Becky is black. And everybody knew that Becky was black, and you can't talk to Becky because she is black. Not because she's a servant, because everybody was talking to Sarah and she was a servant. But no one talks to Becky because she's black. That is the policy of the house. But Becky is allowed in the house under the charitable organization. Right. Order of the house, house rules. What happened at the end? The lady became a servant. But you know what else is really interesting? There was a part where the young man was the chim- the, the little chimney sweeper. She did him mm-hmm. so wrong. <laughs> she, she, yep. she did him so wrong. And I was saying to myself, okay, so now it's, even outside of the charitable organization, she's just a really mean person. Person, right. She's just a really mean person. But nonetheless, inside of the house is where she has dominion because she's the one running the house. Mm-hmm. 
but how long the house how long the kingdom stands depends on how you run it. So right. I'm just putting that out there. Right. 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 Yes, sir. So you wanna be mean and nasty, you won't be on top for very long. Yeah, exactly. So and it took the young girl, it took the young lady uh who was a princess to actually make all of that happen because before then it was that was the way the lady ran the house was how she ran the house, and nobody could object to that, not even her own sister mm-hmm. who wanted to get married, but she you know she had to run she had to help her sister run uh, uh school, but she ended up saying, "Screw the school, I'm looking for love." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So this movie has a lot of different elements in it that you can really take away from it. But one of the general ideas that I want everyone to take from here is understanding status. It's very important. And people, you know, feel like, you know, it. people say there is racism. There was racism in the fact that you couldn't talk to the that none of the white people in the house could talk to the young black girl, but one could easily say that that would be overshadowed by what they considered to be classism because yes still even though people even though the young girls were still talking to Sarah, they weren't allowed to talk to her because she was a servant. No one caught that. They couldn't even speak to Sarah either, but they still did it, not because they didn't want to do it, but because Sarah, to them, was still their friend. Right. It wasn't so much as, oh, the the the, the headmistress say that we couldn't talk to her because we can't even talk to Becky, but we won't talk to Becky because Becky is black. Right. You see what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. even though uh, both of even though uh, Becky was a servant and Sarah was a servant, they still talked to her. Not because you know they couldn't talk to her because it wasn't house rules. They they talked to her because that was who they wanted to talk to. So then there's you have what you call racism, but it was overshadowed by classism because at the end of the day, they could not talk to Sarah. And if they got talk, if they got caught talking or dealing with Sarah, I'm pretty sure they've been reprimanded. Why? Because Sarah is a yeah. servant. Yes, sir. She was a servant. So now we got uh, what you call kind of like an eye opener when it comes to um, come when it comes to understanding status. Now, I'm not saying that it's like that all around the world, but you at least have an idea. You understand what I'm saying? You at least have an idea. Another thing I thought was pretty interesting um, uh, was how the Jewish man allowed the uh, guy to come in his house even though he knew that that was not his son. Even though he knew that wasn't his son, because he knew that wasn't his son, he said it when he went to go and view the body at the uh, in the hospital. He said, "That's not my son." 
But what they told him was, well, that was the only body that we could, that was the body that we found. (laughs) So you have another lesson in understanding how the law affects property by the name. Because I'm pretty sure if he, if that Moorish man wasn't there, that Jewish man wouldn't have dealt with that uh, Caucasoid. Even though it was a Caucasoid, he still wouldn't have dealt with him because that wasn't his son. But he only did it out of the kindness of his heart. And because, you know, the Moorish guy, he was kind of like telling him, like, yo, be charitable. He needs you. This man is, you know, this man basically has no family, so to speak, or he doesn't have anywhere to go. He needs someone to take care of him. Mm. And so the Jewish man, you know, he did it out of, out of an act of kindness. And then so once the, you know, the Caucasian man uh, got what you call better, even though he still didn't, he still had somewhat memory loss, he wasn't in a coma. And he thanked the he thanked the Jewish man for you know inviting him in his home, and okay. you know I think the Jewish man kind of could rest easy knowing that you know even though his son he he wasn't able to uh, have his son's physical body, he still felt knowing he still felt better knowing that he could help somebody else. Because what ended up happening at the end of the movie is that when the when the uh, Caucasian man got his memory back, he told the he told the Jewish man what actually happened to his son. Y'all no. didn't hear that. No. Was, I think the yeah he ended up t- he ended up telling him because they thanked him. He said thank you for telling me what happened to my son. This wow. was at the this was at the end of the movie when Sarah was coming out the door and she went to hug her father and they was getting ready to go and all the girls hug her. Well, they said it at the end of the movie, you know, thank you for telling me what happened to my son. So I think he felt he felt okay knowing that his son was gone because he had somebody who was there who knew he, you know, what happened to him and, you know, out of even out of act of kindness, he was able to help someone else besides his, even though he couldn't save his son. So that was one of the that was pretty interesting about the movie. But nonetheless, the movie was really, really good. I had seen that movie. That movie came out when I was, I think I was 10 or 11 years old. Wow. <laughs> so I feel like really old. But even at the end of the day, like looking back, watching it now and seeing the things that I see now, I was like, holy crap, how did I not see that before? And it's like because you weren't, you didn't know what you were looking for. You didn't know to look at it from that point of view because when I was young and I watched it, of course, I thought, you know, I still felt the headmistress was, you know, I still thought she was pretty mean. And I thought that, you know, hey, she was obviously racist because she didn't like the black girl because the girl was black. But now that I'm watching the movie now and I understand status, I'm like, it still doesn't make it okay, but I understand the order of the day. 
because she was kind of of a little biased towards the Indian princess too. The Indian princess, Sarah. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, of course. Um, The interesting thing about that, I think she was biased because she felt like you're coming into a place where we're supposed to help you in regards to charity and we're offering something and you don't want to, you don't want to have it. We're offering you French, but you don't want to receive it, which I think she took it the wrong way because you should have said, okay, well, the young lady obviously speaks French. She can help. But I think she got, maybe she felt a little bit inferior uh, when the man found out the young lady could speak Spanish, uh, speak French, French, he said, "Yeah, maybe she can help. You. She can help the other girls and even you speak your French." Right. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So maybe and she felt some kind like, of way. To tell you. <laughs> you know, like she felt like, "Oh, well, who's this young girl trying to show me up?" I run the house, you know what I'm saying? This is <laughs> this is my platform, and I get to run the house. So, you know, I I think that, that that's where the bias comes from. The bias, you know, was I'm trying, I want to help you, but then it looks like you don't want my help, like you don't need me, you know. So I think that's where the bias comes from, and, you know, having the young girls, be happy, but she felt like maybe the young girl was trying to uh, upset the order of the house. Because when you have control over uh, certain things, you are accustomed to doing things a certain way. So when Sarah came, Sarah thought it was the norm to talk to, you know, black girls at the table. Because when she was at the table and she was, you know, speaking to the young girl, she said, thank you, and she was like, we don't talk we don't talk to Becky. And so she right. says it doesn't, and so Sarah says it doesn't seem natural. Right. right. She was like, it doesn't it. seem natural. Like, because in no, my country, Sarah, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, she was like, we don't talk at the table. She wanted yeah, to we don't talk at the, table. at the table. Yeah, because you got to think, like, back in those days, you know, ladies were supposed to kind of, ladies were like almost treated like children. Like you're supposed to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. be seen and not heard. And mm-hmm. when you eat, you're, you're, and if they teach you how to eat and put your napkin on your lap, and mm-hmm. this is the dinner fork and the salad fork and spoon, you know, soup spoon and dessert. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you'll, you even see that the grooming, the, um, etiquette grooming in movies like the Titanic and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, and we were supposed to be like church mouse, quiet, quiet as a church mouse, you know, mm-hmm. thank ladies. So she was like at the table, we don't talk, period. And then even when they were reading the book and Sarah started to go off into her own little fantasy storytelling, the, the headmistress got mad and she's like, well, we don't make up our own stories. We read from the book. It was mm-hmm. just like, <laughs> wow. One of, one of the things I think Sarah had a tough time dealing with is uh, uh, 
colorism being politicized in America. Because, see, when she was in India, she's used to seeing dark-skinned people. Right. You see what I'm saying? She's used to seeing dark-skinned people and not saying, oh, well, you can't necessarily talk to them because she – because they are – they're uh, a coolie. Because in India, they do call them coolie. Right. But what I found really interesting is that she didn't call them coolie because when the British seized uh, that area – I you know I've read certain stories where they where the British people did call the people of India coolies. Yeah, coolie being they associated no different them, than right? Kush. Say that one more time. They colonized India, right? Yeah, they colonized it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you know Sarah grew up obviously with a you know a different kind of. Mentality. Her father obviously grew up with a different kind of mentality because the father didn't, you know, he wasn't afraid of the Moorish man when, you know, the Moorish man was there at the Jewish man's house. You know, I kind of figured, you know, he would have said something to the, the Moorish man then, but he didn't show any hatred towards him. But nonetheless, I would, I assumed that it was a, it was a, uh, one of those like national hatreds that they had, that the British had for the people of India, it, well, let me be more specific, the people of southern India, because the people of north India are pretty lighter than the people yeah. of southern, southern right. India. So, I, you know, but Sarah grew up around the people who I, I assume were a lot much darker than her. So when she came to America, she was like, Y'all don't talk to people because they black. Like that's so, that's crazy. Back home, I got a friend named I got a friend named Anisha. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got a friend named uh, named Kashif. You know what I'm saying? So it's it 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 was it was new to to have color be politicized. You can't deal with someone because they're dark skinned. But now we're dealing with a society now where we are treated a certain way because we are dark-skinned, but people are not understanding that the dark skin is actually overshadowed with classism. You are placed in the bottom not necessarily because you are black, but because you are a servant. Mm -hmm. But there are people... I'm sorry. I was going to say, which is back to your nature knows no color line. Right. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mm-hmm. even when you – but mm-hmm. let me ask you a question. Even mm-hmm. what I was going to ask you, and I'm going to ask our, uh, EK, when you read Nature Knows No Color Line, was there any part in that book where you seen uh, any of the Moorish people – who worked in any of those European co- uh, uh, countries or governments, were they ever um, uh, bashed or uh, vilified or anything of that nature? Um, anything that you can recall? Um, I mean, it seemed like they had servants of all color. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like they just changed, they tried to change the classism into colorism. Mm-hmm. 
into a caste system based on color um, instead of state of mind conscious. Like that's where when the new Roman uh, aristocracy took control of the estate, they Mm -hmm. perverted the language of law to state of mind, from state of mind classism based on your conduct to colorism. So I didn't see, based on the color of your skin, people being mistreated. Mm -hmm. And really, I don't recall, and I'm going to have to read it again, I don't recall people really being mistreated based on class. Um, it was more of uh, who you fraternize with. Mm-hmm. Like if you're of this specific class, you don't fraternize with this specific, specific class. These specific classes fraternize amongst each other, and then the lower states, fraternize one you know, amongst one another and the only time we interact is when it comes to commerce to handle business. Mhm. So that's what I saw more in that book, which reminds me of this movie. I don't know if you guys ever seen it. It's like one of my favorite movies. But it was um the modern Cinderella story that Drew Barrymore was in and it's called Happily Ever After. I've heard of that. I've never seen that movie. That movie came out. I was like, what? That movie came it's out like really, 1998 really or good. something like that? Yeah, it's a chick flick, guys. But I think that oh, even okay, though it's yeah. a chick flick, it's a little on this one. But then again, so was The Little Princess. Somebody would consider that a chick flick, too. It, but it's it's even more... Um, it's even more... Uh, more... Um, it's even more geared towards masculine, not masculinity, but it's something that guys can watch too. I like totally re- related to the Cinderella um, character that Drew Barrymore played in this like movie. I like I could totally relate to her, her personality. You know what I mean? Like she was, she her father, um, her. Her mother was a was was she a baroness? No, she wasn't a baroness. What's the word? She was part of the aristocracy. Her father was as well. Her mother passed away, giving birth to her, and she was the only daughter. And he ended up marrying, you know, the stepmother who was a baroness. And he brought her and her two daughters to live at his estate where he had this beautiful farm with, you know, vineyards and stuff like that. And, you know, they came, the baroness came in a little horse and buggy and horse and carriage, and they step out and they're all glammed up and in these beautiful dresses and she's meeting all the help and everything. And they were trying to get, his daughter ready, you know, all dressed up like a little lady, but she's such a tom girl, you know, a tomboy. Like, so where I could relate. Like, I, I, I was such a tomboy. Like, I wanted to be out in the mud, making mud pies, climbing trees, and, you know, just 
having fun, but then I also like double dutch and cheering and all the rest of that stuff too. But I was an active girl. I wasn't like a girly girl. So she brings, she brings them, they come to the house and he's like, well, where's Danielle? And he's like, Danielle, he's calling her. And then she comes out from playing with her best friend, who's a little boy, Gustav. And they were play fighting and she's in this dress and they were play fighting in the pig pen. And so she's just muddy from head to toe when she meets her first her first time meeting her stepmother. So, you know, the lady is looking at her like, because mm. she has these two dainty little girls that she's bringing up. And Danielle is just like the total opposite, you know, because she's grown up basically with her dad and her best friend is a little boy. And, you know, it's just, you should, you should walk. But he, when her father passes away, her father ends up passing away. And which is really messed up because, you know, everything, like, Danielle didn't get everything. Everything went to her stepmother, and she was only married to him for, like, two seconds. And the stepmother made her life a living hell, and she made Danielle a servant in the house. So Danielle couldn't wear clothing of aristocracy. She couldn't wear maiden clothing. She had to wear servant clothing. And the stepmother was, like, losing all the money in the house because she was just, like, spoiled. And she sold off one of the servants that she grew up under who happened to be one of the maid's husbands, and they were going to ship him off to the Americas. So she ended up posing as a a maiden and going to, because the prince was trying to run away, and he took her father's horse, and she was picking up apples, and he was running with the horse, and so she started throwing apples at him and hit him in the head, and he fell off the horse. And she's like, that'll serve you for trying to steal my father's horse. And he's like, you know, she didn't recognize that he was the prince. And then when he pulled his, like, cape thing from off his face, she dropped to her knees and was like, I'm so sorry, sir, you know, whatever. And he was like, don't tell anybody about this. Just take this. And he gave her, like, ten pieces of gold. You know, just take this and tell nobody for the horse and tell nobody you've seen me. You know what I mean? And so she went to the ladies, and she was like, oh, my God, an angel of mercy just dropped this at my feet. And she's like, oh, you know, what are you going to do with this? And she said, I'm going to go and purchase your husband back. If, If the baroness can sell him, I can surely go and purchase him. So she dressed up like a maiden, to go and purchase him. But when she went there, they had sold him, and she's like, well, I have 10 pieces of gold right here for this man right here, and I'll buy him. And she ended up going back and forth with the guy, and he was refusing to sell him. And then the prince rode up because they went and got him. And she basically pled her, her case with the prince, and he ordered the guy to let him go. You know, and then he kept trying to hit on her and talk to her, and she was, like, trying to get away because she didn't want to be found out, you know. And it's, but that movie also shows the class structure. So when you guys have a chance, Happily Ever After with Drew Barrymore is called. I yield.
Brother Cedric? I'm sorry. So, I was on mute. Oh, I'm sorry. You're on mute. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was <laughs> passing and I didn't realize that my phone was on mute. Um, I realized, I, you know, I was almost kind of uh, leery about having you guys watch that movie uh, that I assigned because, you know, of course it, it was supposed to be like a family movie slash, you know, chick girl movie. But I said, okay. I said, I just... uh. Uh, you know, I'll assign it, and it hopefully they'll watch it to get what I, you know, was teaching in their class. You know, they'll they'll see it and understand what I was trying to say. But um, when we come back next week, I'm gonna um try to have another. I'm gonna try to have another assignment for you guys. So, um. Anybody have any other comments or questions? Can I be heard? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, brother. I'm all set, brother. Okay. Uh, does anybody have any comments or questions? No, Okay. So when we come back next week, I'm going to have another assignment. Um, we'll go over a little bit more about... Um, uh, about status and some other different things. So we can adjourn for the rest of this evening. Uh, the time now is nine minutes after ten. We can adjourn. So not too long.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.